need an example. Good evening, everyone. Yeah, I have to excuse me, I'm getting over a cold, so I'm gonna suck on this for a while. Um, I guess it's been a while since I shared my testimony. Okay. Um, it's been a couple years since I was up here sharing my testimony. Um, so I'll quickly highlight some of those things. Of course, you all know me, my name's John Brooks. Um, I came to know the Lord about the age of eight. I was, remember I was sitting in the back of the assembly we were going to, it was an evening meeting, and I just remember, I just remember thinking, I need a savior. I, my, I, I have to have somebody take care of this problem of sin. And just to myself, I accepted Christ as my savior. Um, and I'm going to say, since I grew up in a in a church-going family, um, parents that loved the Lord and tried to raise me as best they could, which I think they did a good job. Uh, um, I didn't really notice a change, but I knew something was happening in my life. Um, as I got older, um, I remember having at times doubts of salvation, and I think that's common to a lot of people. And I remember talking to my dad about it, and he gave me some verses of reassurance and asked about baptism. And so I was baptized when I was about, wish I could remember all the dates, but I was 14. Um, and I remember, so that was in a swimming pool. That was a lot of fun. My dad baptized me. And as I started to grow, um, I enjoyed going to camp. My uh, brothers worked at Quinnia and I like, I kind of followed in their footsteps, but I spent basically 10 summers serving at Quininia, summer staff, um, making sure there was a, a camp facility where people could come in here. So a lot of time in service. As I got into college, um, I helped at the assembly I was going to, West Valley Bible Chapel, they're no longer there, but I helped with the junior high, high school, um, Sunday school. In college, um, my junior year, I got involved Actually, it'd be my senior year, I think, um, with Campus Crusade at Cal Poly Pomona, and that was a good experience um, witnessing on campus. We would go with some of the staff members and just talk to people on campus and share the four spiritual laws and try to get that. Um, I shared it last time, but one of the best experiences I had there was we went up to a, a young man and just talked to him about the four spiritual laws books because that was the tool we had. And he said, okay, but he, he didn't really care much. He goes, oh, I'm Buddhist, but he took it. And that was the last we ever saw of him and that year. And we were waiting next semester, actually next, about two quarters later, we were in the cafeteria just waiting to meet with another person. And this guy came up. We didn't really recognize him, but he goes, do you remember me? He said, well, no, not really. He goes, well, I want to thank you for sharing with me because he said he was now a Christian. And that was just really neat. So you don't know what happens when you share right away. But it was neat to see this. It was really encouraging, especially for the staff member I was at because he, he wasn't really seeing a lot of fruit. And this was just a real 
good encouragement for him. So um, that was college. That's where I met my wife, Jennifer. Um, and so that um, we both got done with college and got married. And after we got married, we started looking for a church. We ended up going to an evangelical covenant church in Azusa. And we pretty much went there because it was friendly. They, they preached okay, but things were changing. And then we ended up deciding that we needed to go somewhere um, where I felt the teaching was better because we had the two boys, Nathan and Caleb, and I wanted to make sure they had a good um, background from a, a good church. And we ended up coming here. So we've been here about eight years now. Um, so that's really it. And I'm serving um, with the Sunday school, the fourth and fifth graders. It's been a lot of fun teaching them. Um, hopefully I'm making an impact, but we'll see. Um, otherwise, that's pretty much my testimony. Something recent that's happened, most of you know I was hospitalized about two years ago with um, pancreatitis. Uh, that was very painful. I hope none of you have to endure anything like that. But uh, even through that, God's worked in my life. I was very happy. It helped me build trust in him. Um, because of the pancreatitis, they put me on a special diet. And because of that, I lost a lot of weight. And uh, one of the things I found out when you lose a lot of weight really quick, you can get gallstones. About six months after I had the pancreatitis, I was in the hospital with gallstones. Um, follow up on that, and this is where the Lord has really worked, and I'm very happy because I don't think it could have been any other way. Did a follow up. They found what they thought was a polyp in my gallbladder, um, and the size and just 1.1 centimeters, so about the size of your thumb. And they said, "Well, if you have a polyp that size, we really recommend that you have your gallbladder removed." And I did not want to have that happen. And so started mentally preparing for that. But I said, let's do a follow-up. And they went, uh, it was about four months later, we did a follow-up ultrasound, and they could not find the polyp. Um, so it was probably just a, a gallstone. They put me on some medicine, too, and that helped. Um, it's really just God, but broke down all the gallstones I had. They're very small now. Um, so I'm still going through treatment on that, but I haven't had any problems since. And it's been, it's great how the Lord has blessed me through that. So, and I know when that happened, a lot of you were praying for me and the family, and I thank you for that. So um, one of the things I wanted to also share was one of my favorite verses, or recent favorite verses. It's in Isaiah 25, verse 1, and I'll read it says, O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will give thanks to your name, for you have worked wonders, plans formed long ago with perfect faithfulness. And I came across that verse probably about, I'd say maybe six months ago now, maybe a little bit more. And it just really struck me, and I want to share this, is that we do need to exalt God. We need to to give him complete thanks for everything. Because as it says, you have worked wonders. I mean, everything that he's done is a wonder from creation to just how he's made us and what he's done. But his greatest wonder, and really why I can stand up here and say that he saved me, you know, 
His son came and died. And that's that last part of this verse. Plans formed long ago with perfect faithfulness. We can read in the scriptures how God had a plan for salvation. How his son came to die and raise again. We believe in him. We can have eternal life and be with him. And he carried that through with perfect faithfulness. It's just my favorite verse now. I'm sure I might find another one. But right now, this is the one that I like to think on. That Jesus came and faithfully did what he did on the cross for us. And I believe it. I hope all of you here believe it. And if you don't, please look into it because there's nothing better than a loving God that cares for us. Amen. So, so I think now I'm going to turn it over to one of my sons. They've been asked to also share. I don't know which one wants to do it first. So, oh, looks like Caleb. Good evening. Um, I'm Caleb Brooks, and uh, as you all have just heard, that's my dad. Um, I was brought up in a Christian family, and when I was, I think, five, uh, I was having a conversation with my dad one night, and just like the matter of uh, sin came up, and I just realized I was a sinner, so I was saved that night, and then... Uh, it just kind of made me want to like learn more about the Lord and I know two years after that we started coming here so eight years ago and then I've just been trying to learn uh, as much as I can about the Lord and yeah and so a verse that's kind of stuck with me like since I've been saved is Ephesians 2 8 and 9 and for by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not of yourselves, but it is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. And um, it just kind of shows that uh, God's the one who saves us, and we cannot do it ourselves. Yeah, yeah, and that's it. <laughs> I'm Nathan Brooks. Uh, I'm Caleb's brother, and my and uh, so I, I was saved uh, when I was really young. Uh, I always went to church. Uh, didn't really have a choice there at first. So when I was seven years old, um, two years older than my brother. Um, I heard him talking with my dad at night about what it meant to be saved. So I was kind of listening at the same time. And then when he was finished talking to my dad, uh, I went and asked my dad more about uh, what it, how to be saved. So uh, after I had the conversation with my dad, I decided to accept Christ. And 
So I did that night. And then two years after that, uh, we came here. And then I remembered asking um, why the bread and wine was passed around every, like, what was that about in the morning service? So my dad, like, passed that off for a couple of years, was like, oh, you uh, wait until you're baptized. So then when I became interested to know what that was, I was baptized a couple of years I think it was when I was 12, or was it 13, here, and I think David did that. Um, so then I was, uh, he, my dad had explained that what the bread and wine represented, how Christ died for us, and how he asked us to remember him through that. And then since then I've just been learning more about God from Sunday school teachers, uh, brigades and uh, used to go to Awanas and Clint, where by uh, at a church where we live, and then now I'm helping with the Awanas here, and I'm still in brigades for this last year I think, and I'm really uh, so a verse that stood out to me the past couple of days was uh, in Psalms. Psalms 37, uh, 23 and 24. It says, The steps of a man are established by the Lord, and he delights in his way. When he falls, he will not be hurled headlong, because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. So it's, it speaks to me in that the Lord's always looking out for us, or me. And he delights in his way. When he falls, he will not be hurled headlong. So. And it's like the, like, I have faith that the Lord's always there with me so that I may, like, fail at something or do really bad, but I won't, like, ruin myself or, like, the Lord's there watching out so I won't fall all the way. And then it also brings up, like, how, like, I may, like, everyone sins, but then instead of, like, sending us to hell, which is kind of like hurled headlong, but he sent his son to die for us. And that's the best thing that he did for us. Thank you. Good evening. I guess I got a few minutes left to fill the time. Um, real quick, I was up in Washington and I uh, visited mom and dad, and they send their greetings to all of you. And they do extend an a, a invitation if anyone wants to come and get away to go up there and spend some time. It's it's beautiful country, and it's literally a million-dollar view from their house that overlooks the Columbia River, and it's Lake Roosevelt, and uh, we got a lot of snow. A lot of snow came down when we were up there, so it's a different life for them now. They've lived in Southern California their whole life, and now got 25 acres. They got uh, dad, 
I spent one day shoveling his deck because he didn't shovel the deck. When you don't shovel the deck, you get, and then all, he had tons of ice, so he slipped and fell. And he's all right. We just laugh at him, but um, uh, he always falls on the ice. But, yeah, Dad, you got, you got to shovel. You keep this stuff up. But he, he's learning. But, um, but anyone, if you ever want to get away, you can go up and see them. But they send their greetings, and they want to come see everyone and say hi and everything else like that. They're getting settled in. If you can turn to Galatians chapter 6 with me, which the Lord's laid upon my heart in the last few minutes here. Um, and as we thank you, John and, and Nathan and, and Caleb, we, we such a tremendous testimony to hear people and how they go on for the Lord and how they serve the Lord. And not only from the time of salvation is their testimony and how the Lord saved them from eternal damnation, but he's how he saved them from the power of sin and to live a victorious Christian life for the Lord, and to go on and accomplish his will, and, and to be um, one that glorifies God, and, and, and to go on and witness, and to be a testimony for the Lord. You know, the Lord's called us to be a testimony. And what's a testimony? Well, each one of us has our own testimony. And it's in your own words, and that's the beautiful fact of it, is the Lord has saved each and every one of us, and in your own words you can get that out and tell people. And it's a, it's a simple thing as the disciples did as they went forth and uh, planted the, the, the New Testament churches as they went forth with their testimony of how God saved them and delivered them. And how many times did Paul recant the story uh, of how the Lord saved him on the road to Damascus, you know? And it's a tremendous thing. You never shy away. And this is something that as we face people with false religions and people in this world, is that when we share the testimony of how God saved us and delivered us, and we're living a life that's fulfilling and pleasing to the Lord, but we have satisfaction, they're thirsting. They're longing for what we have. We may not see it. They may not let on to it, but the, the, the Jehovah Witness, the Mormon, the, the, the Muslim, they don't have the peace that we have. They don't have that peace, that inner peace, that our eternal security is wrapped up in Christ. And it's something that they're always going to be lacking. Galatians chapter 6, in, um, we're going to look at verses 7 through 10, the last few minutes here, is uh, something the Lord's laid upon my heart that as you go forward in your testimony, as you go forward and you live your life, at times you get weary, at times you get exhausted. At times, you just want to give up. At times, you want to wave the white flag and surrender. And I think there's an important lesson here that Paul is going to give us, and if we can take it with a broad application and apply it towards our life, to encourage that we don't grow weary and stop doing good. So many times, how many people have started the Christian race and took off and with a flame of fire and they're on fire for the Lord and they go on one year, two year, five year, ten years and you turn around and go, where's so-and-so? I don't know. I, I think he's disappeared. I, I, can, I remember people that have preached from this platform here and that have gone on for the Lord in the sense that when I was here and now you say, where's their testimony? Where are they at? They still believe the same word of God that they taught and they expressed from the pulpit here? Or have they grown weary and, and faltered in their, their doctrine, faltered in, in um, applying the word of God? Have they compromised their lifestyle 
And Paul's going to encourage here to not grow weary. Let's read it, verses 7 through 10. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. There's a simple principle that's laid out here in verses 7 and 8. And it's a, this, the simple principle is whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. I don't think it's too hard to understand. But um, for those of you that are like me, that, that like little illustrations, when I was growing a garden, I went out and I planted different types of seeds. I planted a tomato seed was one of them. And you know what I got? Tomato plant. It's that simple. Whatever you go and you sow within the field and you water and you nurture, that's what's going to come up out of the ground. Now you take that to a spiritual application. You take that into our lives. And whatever we make the priority in our life, whatever we labor for in life, you're going to reap the benefits of it. So let's take that for example. If I go forward and I take my money and I invest it in the stock market, I invest it in companies, I invest it all my energy in building up some corporation or some company, what's that going to give me? Money. Success. You might gain fame out of it. But this is the simple principle in which he says, for he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. If we go and we invest in the things of this world, if we go and invest in the things of our own flesh, we're going to reap from that. But you know, at the end of the day, and I think this ties into what Russ was talking about this morning, and we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And the things that are done of the flesh, the things that are done of our own strength, the things that are done of our lives that are just wasted, they're going to burn up. The things that we do of our own strength, whether it, may, it might be something of the Lord that you're trying to strive for, but you're doing it in your own strength and your own pride and your own um, glory. It's of the flesh. But look at what he says. He says, but he who sows to the Spirit will the Spirit reap everlasting life. You're not only going to reap the benefits of it right now, but throughout eternity. You think of how John went forward and, and spread the gospel. For all of eternity, he's going to see this individual that he shared the gospel with, a simple track of his testimony. And not only he's going to see this guy in eternity, not only has he just expressed the joy that overflows and how cool it is to work with the Spirit of God and to see somebody come to know Christ and be saved from a lost eternity, but the Lord Jesus Christ is going to crown, throw, give him a crown. He's going to reap benefits upon benefits. It, and the simple principle here is, is that if we want to take our lives and make, and make something matter in life, and we want to sow some kind of seed, we want to invest our efforts in something, let's invest our efforts into the work that the Spirit of God has for us. See, each one of us, he's given a gift. Each one of us, he has placed us an opportunity to minister to one another. And each one of us, he holds accountable for the gifts that he's given to us to go and to, to, to build up the body of Christ in which we have here. 
And the problem we end up with is that when we withhold this gift, when we stand back, then what happens? We're no longer sowing. And the end result is that we see is that when we stand back and we, we, we perhaps sit in the pew or, or we don't come out or we don't do, invest in Christians' lives, if we don't go forward, then we don't see any growth and we don't see any, any fruits coming forward and we scratch our head and go, well, why? Because we haven't invested. When we give money, and this is a very generous assembly, we give money into the work overseas, the missionaries' work, and we give money here to whatever the ministry might be in our traveling itinerant preachers or whatever the ministry might be. We are investing and we are sowing into that ministry. And what the Lord is going to give here is he's going to give us a promise. And it's not a matter of F or F we're going to get fruit, but it's when the fruit will come forth. We look at verse 9. But let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. When I planted this garden and, and I, I planted the seed, I put it in there, that's not the only thing you got to do with a garden. You have to water it on a daily basis. Some other crops might be on, on, on a couple of days watering. Some you can't water too much. Some you got to water more, but, but I water it on a daily basis. The other thing you got to do is you got to watch out for the the weeds that are going to come up. And then all of a sudden you see this little growth coming up out of, out of the ground. And it needs sunlight, obviously. And this growth that comes forward, you have to nurture it. You have to watch out for the bugs because the first thing I learned is I get these little green worms that are crawling all over the, the plants. And they're eating them up. So I got to stay with it. And, I, and then as the plant grows and the tomato, I, I learned different stuff in talking to Scott Weaver and going on the internet is there's offshoots within the tomato plant. And what they call these offshoots, they call them suckers. And what it basically is, is all the nutrients needs to go up through the tomato plant and go to the actual tomato. And what ends up happening is these suckers, actually, all they do is they don't produce fruit. They're high, they're high offs. And they'll actually take the nutrients away from tomatoes so you don't get as many uh, big, fat, luscious tomatoes. So you've got to break those off. And you've got to trim it back. And you've got to keep it going. I think you get the idea here, is that one day as this plant grows, it brought forth fruit. It brought forth the tomato. It didn't happen overnight. Actually, we go out with the kids every day, and they look, and they don't see anything in the ground. And at times you can say, well, is there anything going to come up? But the excitement of seeing that little growth come forward. This is the way it is in working in the Christian faith and working in a local assembly and missionary work or whatever it is, is you might go forward and you might sow all kinds of seeds. And you might think you're not accomplishing anything. You might think that nobody's hearing you, nobody's receiving the word of God, but God promises here that we shall reap if we do not lose heart, if we stay with it. Look at verse 9, the very first part of it. But let us not grow weary while doing good. And the problem that we end up with is, is Christians, we grow weary. This word means to faint, to come to the point of fainting, of exhaustion. And you see, sometimes in the Christian faith, well, a lot of times, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of thankless work. 
If you enter into the, the ministry or, or exercising your gifts within the assembly, you've got to understand is that a lot of times you're going to be unappreciated. Joe Reese says you're not a servant until you're treated like one. And the sad part is, is that you will probably never suffer more abuse than from a fellow Christian than you would from the world. We are harder on each other than I, I, I don't... I don't know why it's this way, but, but I think, what does the rest say? That we like to bury our own alive or something? I, I forget. Your, we, shoot we shoot our wounded. That's it. I can't, I can't get these quotes down. I love Russ's quotes. He has good ones. But you're going to take criticism. You're going to, there's going to be a lack of appreciation. There's going to be people that are just unfaithful. You're going to invest in them. And they're, they're, you put forth effort and whatever it might be that you're doing, and they just don't show up. There's going to be tremendous discouragement. And then the worst case scenario is people just don't deserve it. You get disgruntled. You get bitter people that you're trying to serve, and you're like, why do I want to serve them? Why do I want to go and put forth the effort of preparing a message or whatever it might be, and the people don't even listen? They don't even care. And there's times of where you just flat out just get exhausted with life. Things that within the home front come at you. Work, financial burdens. I mean, we can go on and on with the things that, that tried, that Satan then comes in on top of all this stuff as you're trying to do good and serve the brother, and Satan's heaping all this stuff and trying to destroy your testimony. Maybe it's issues with children. Issues with job, money, whatever it might be. And then what ends up happening is the Christian says, I quit. I give up. Perhaps we don't see him out at meeting on a regular basis anymore. Perhaps, um, and to my fault a lot of times, is... is we're not observant, and then they begin to think nobody really does care, and they disappear. Because I got my own cares in life that I'm dealing with. And we haven't even got into persecution. We haven't even got into going forth in what the, 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 the New Testament church dealt with, of people being stoned and, and mocked and beaten. We haven't even got into the real physical element to where Christians give their lives for the testimony of the Lord. But Paul is going to encourage us. He says, let us not grow weary while doing good. And, and what the good could be in a broad stroke of, uh, of the brush is anything that is of the will of God. Anything the word of God commands us. Whether it's to preach the gospel, whether it's to exercise your gift within the local assembly, whatever it might be. The word of God that God commands us to do because God says that um, to him that does not, um, oh, my mind just went blank, um, to him who knows that, that knows to do good and does not do it to him in his sin. And we, the, the Holy Spirit's leading us and he's guiding us and, and he's, he's placing us into ministry. And then we end up grieving and quenching the spirit of God. Then we end up where our lives are taken out. 
But Paul says, do not let us grow weary while doing good, because the encouragement that we have is that we will reap what we have sown. That's because God's word does not come back void. Look at verse 10. Therefore, we, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And you could break this down into two classifications of all in a very simple manner. Is that number one, you have the unsaved, and then you have the household of faith, which are the saved, which are the Christians. And you see, if all of us continue to do good and continue to serve one another, can you imagine how much this assembly would be on fire? Can you imagine if you could not contain the fire that was burning within each and every one of us that wanted to put their hand to the plow and to work and to cultivate and to plant seeds and to sow? Can you imagine the reaping that we would have one day of Christians? And we see it in this assembly. We see young men, as we saw, Nathan and Caleb. The prayers that have gone into these young boys, the work, the labor, the word of God, and we're seeing and we're reaping the benefits. But we can't grow weary, we can't ever stop. Whatever age we're at, however long you've been a Christian, you see, there is no retirement for the Christian. Now, I'm looking forward to retirement, and I know many here have retired and are done working, and I'm looking forward to one day that I can retire. I don't want to get there too fast, because then that means I get older, but... Um, but our retirement would be when we go to home to be with the Lord in glory. But as long as we're on this earth, as long as we have breath, as long as we can minister to the saints, we continue to go on and pray for the saints and minister and to exhort and to lift up and to think of it, each other and to constantly encourage to go on. But the, the bottom line is, is when it comes down to it, who are we serving? Are we, doing, are we serving the Lord for the appreciation of man? Are we seeking the reward of men? Because the Lord makes it very clear that if we seek the reward of men, then that's our reward. Are we seeking the rewards of God? Are we seeking that if one day when we stand before him in the, in the, the judgment seat of Christ, that he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant? Are we truly serving him? Not looking for that pat on the back, not looking for that... That, that appreciation, but to keep serving as a servant. Because you see, a servant gets kicked. A servant can get, well, a slave, but uh, in, to our day and time today, it's a little bit different. But if you were a slave and, and a servant, you, you, you could get beat for not doing your job. Are we really treated like that? Are we, do we accept that behavior that when someone treats us like a servant? Because you see, um, the Apostle Paul says he's a bondservant of Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ came, he didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. But turn with me to Revelation chapter 2. And this is probably one of the most encouraging things that you could read and that, that I could exhort you tonight to not to grow weary in doing good is that we don't serve this assembly. We don't serve just for man's praise, for man's thanksgiving, for man's appreciation, but we serve our living God because... He asked us to. And let me tell you something, the Lord knows every little thing we do. Every minute thing. There's not one little word of encouragement that goes by that the Lord doesn't take notice. And I'm going to prove it to you because these seven churches of Asia, the Lord knew. 
He knew him. He knew exactly what went on in these, these assemblies and what went on with the saints and everything. Because in, in, in the first chapter we learn is that the Lord Jesus Christ is walking amongst the candlesticks. He's walking amongst his churches. He's not only one that, that, that is the head of the church. He's here in the midst of us. For two or three to gather together, there am I in the midst of you. And not only is he here for the Lord's Supper, but he's here for this meeting. He's here for the Wednesday night prayer meeting. He's here for every meeting that this assembly gathers together. He's walking in our midst. And he's present with us. Our head is always present. And he's given direction. And he's guiding us and leading us. And he knows exactly what we need. Look at verse 2. He says to the church of Ephesus, I know your works. I know your labor. I know your patience. And know that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And I know you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. He knows everything you go through. Every time that you have to come out to whatever it might be to serve the Lord, whether it's a night at brigades or awanas or whatever it might be, so much easier just to stay home. So much easier to throw in the towel. But he knows the sacrifice. He knows the, 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 what you go through on a daily basis. And he knows and can identify with you when you come. Look at the, the next church we have, Church uh, Smyrna, verse 9. I know your works. I know your tribulations. I know your poverty. And I know the blaspheme of those who say they are Jews and are not, or are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and, that, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until the death, and I will give you the crown of life. Verse 13. I know your works. And where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name and do, do not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. And he goes on to say, but I have a few things against you, because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel and to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. And he goes on and talks about it. But he knows not only the things that we're doing good, but he knows where we have become weary and where we have faltered and where we have fainted and allowed false doctrine or, or, or immorality to enter in. Look at verse 19. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. Church of Sardis, verse 1. And the angel to the church of Sardis write, These things says, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful. And strengthen, that the, strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. 
for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard and hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. Church of Philadelphia, verse 8. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it, for you have a little strength. For you have a little strength. Have kept my word and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you because you have kept my command to persevere. I also will keep you from the hour of trial which will, shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. Last one is the church of Laodicea, chapter 3, verse 15. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich and, and rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with the eye salve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Lord Jesus Christ knows what goes on here. He knows each and every single one of you. He knows myself. And we don't have a high priest that, that can't sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have a high priest that's there to answer our prayers and to, to, to meet us at our needs. But the most important thing here is that the Lord Jesus knows exactly what you're going through. And he will give you the strength and the power and the ability to continue on and to not grow weary. And in one day, you will stand before your Savior face to face. Which I hope we all will hear. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And this is the testimony that each one of us, hopefully at the end of our lives, will have. That we can serve our Lord and not grow weary while we walk this earth. Let's bow in prayer. Gracious God and Father, we just thank you so much for our Lord Jesus. We thank you so much, Lord Jesus, that you walked amongst us. You are here and you know everything that goes on. You know every work, every labor, every perseverance, every toil. You know all the problems of our lives. Father, we just thank you for that. Because we know... And we seek to, to serve you and to live for you, O oh God. And we just thank you so much that you have saved us, not only from the, the, the penalty from sin, but Lord, you have saved us from the power of sin. You have given us your spirit. You have given us a new nature, Father, that we can walk a victorious Christian life 
that sin and death and the power of Satan and the power of sin does not hold us back. But we can go forth and live a victorious Christian life and edify one another, build one another up. Father, set our hearts on fire, we just pray, that we can live for you in this day and age and that we might sow everything we do for eternal life, not for the flesh. And Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.